This season, we'll be further exploring each topic, hanging out with experts and enthusiasts of all kinds for more strange stories, social commentary, and the myths that make America tick. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Carmen Maria Machado is the author of three books, the award-winning Her Body and Other Parties, a collection of vibrantly haunting short stories that can lead to cathartic contemplative sobbing, and In the Dream House, a best-selling heart-wrenching memoir and examination of queer relationship abuse, and most recently, a horror story in the form of a graphic novel called The Low, Low Woods. We could not be more stoked, because here at American Hysteria, we each consider Carmen to be one of the greatest writers of our time. She's also taught several courses at the University of Pennsylvania, most relevant today, a fiction course called The Art of Haunting. Today, we are a little overly excited to talk about haunted house motifs in American horror movies, the emotional core of these stories, and our own personal experiences with various kinds of ghosts, both the creepy ones and also the oddly, mercifully beautiful ones. We are here with... Carmen right now, and we are so excited to have her. Um, we're also here with Miranda, our producer. She's going to be contributing to this episode because we've been watching two ghost movies a night for the last two weeks, or well, one week, I guess, to be fair. Um, so we're going to talk today about haunted houses and all kinds of themes in the paranormal uh, in horror movies. So hello, Carmen. Thank you for being here. Hello, thank you for having me. Hello, Miranda. Hello. Thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for thanking me. Um, okay, so we're going to just dive right in. And Carmen, could you talk a little bit about your background with the horror film and, and particularly the paranormal haunted house motif in horror and uh, ghost stories in general. And, and kind of how did you, how did that interest bloom for you? So I feel like I have like five origin stories. I'm like a rebooted uh, comic book villain. Uh, it always changes <laughs> a little bit, but a very formative moment for me in my very, very early childhood um, was, so my, my mother left me with my father when I was maybe six or seven, like I was pretty young, maybe even five, I was young. And my mom like left my dad to babysit while she like went to the store or something and came back and my father had fallen asleep in front of the television and Poltergeist was playing. And I was just sitting with eyes as wide as dinner plates, just staring in absolute oh. terror at the screen. And what's funny about this story is I had heard this story from my mother, but I never knew what movie – because she didn't know what movie it was. She said it was a scary movie. And then ye years later, like when I was in my 20s, I there was this – I lived in Berkeley for a while, and there was this theater nearby that showed like $5 old throwback movies on like Tuesdays. And, you know, you could pay five bucks and go see a movie. And so I went with my then boyfriend to go see – 
uh, Poltergeist. I was like, I feel like I've seen Poltergeist, but I'm not sure. <laughs> and as we were watching it, I had this like vivid, like out of body flashback where I was like, <laughs> this was the movie. Cause like it, there were like all these images in my childhood that like returned to me from Poltergeist, like the guy peeling his face off. Oh my um, God. The clown under the bed, the tree coming through the window, that there were all these like images that had sort of plagued me for my whole life. Um, that apparently had come from this movie and like i had never seen the movie in a way that i could remember like pieced together in order like i was like oh like it was this very like weird experience and i was having this like existential crisis and my boyfriend was just like what is going on with you and i was like you do not understand like i saw this movie at a very formative age <laughs> like i'm now experiencing it again um so so that that's like one of the origin stories the other is that i was just a real scaredy cat a hypochondriac and a, just a terrified child who loved horror and would re return to it over and over again so i really loved you know christopher pike arl stein lois duncan john uh Belliers or belairs i don't know if you he wrote like the house of the clock in its walls like he wrote these like horror ch novels for children but I think in like the 60s or 70s, like he was and, and I just I would read these books and would have nightmares and would be up all night. And my mother would just she would, you know, because she had to like console me and she I was ex exhausted the next day and she would take the books away from me. She would be like, no more of these like and then I would just go to the library and check out more of them or I would borrow them from a friend. And I was just and it made no sense because I was just I would make myself I would send myself into these like fits of complete hysteria and then we just keep doing it and keep i also read like medical mysteries and like you know as a hypochondriac and i would read books about kids dying of cancer so i just i really was like just a real self-punishing child mm -hmm. i used to read the synopses of of horror movies and i couldn't <laughs> watch them Were, did you read them in the tv guide where you just told me through the tv guide yes. like, yeah, yeah i used to do that too yes I'd be like, ooh, that sounds interesting. And I feel like there were all these movies that I saw as a kid that I saw in this exact same way where, like, it would be, like, the weird horror movie on, like, that happened to be on, like, some channel that would show a lot of horror movies. I saw – I can't remember. It's a John Carpenter movie where it's literally about liquid Satan. Like, it's like if Satan, it's a liquid and gets into your mouth and then That's will, like, so turn cool. you into Satan or, or into a demon or something. I saw that. I saw not the original, but the sequel to the Candyman. So I had seen like Candyman Return to the <laughs> Flesh when I was like uh -huh. way too young. And, like all oh, these yeah. movies that I would catch on TV if I was homesick from school, you know, I would watch them. And so, yeah, I've always just been really drawn, I think, in this very instinctual way to horror. And I had an I did an interview a few years ago. It was like one of the first interviews I did for my first book. And I was describing this to the interviewer and he was like, oh, so you like books and, and work or art that like changes your temperature. And I was like, yes, th I think that's an appropriate way to describe it. It like creates, it like provokes, it like creates like, an, a, like not a sexual arousal, but an arousal, right? Like a sense of sort of a heightened awareness. And it's like an endorphin rush. I mean, it creates like all these experiences, you know, and also like, I mean, people have studied and talked about how like if you're anxious, like experiencing like a, a, a controlled fear, like a roller coaster or a horror movie or something where it's like creating adrenaline, but it's all being done in this like very safe, like it's not real, you know, it's like a very safe environment, et cetera. It's almost like self-administered cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm no less anxious than I was. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm, I am because I'm medicated and in therapy, but like, <laughs> you know, like I'm still a very anxious person, but I no, no, no. I find horror very like relaxing mm -hmm. in this really interesting. Oh, yeah. that I don't fully understand, which also my wife finds completely unbelievable. She like does not. That's so funny. <laughs> um, somebody said horror movies are like salt. 
which I thought was really interesting. Ooh. Like the way that it changed the, the, the fear is like salt. I think so horror is like flavor. Well, it, right. It, it, I think that's a, yeah, I think that's actually a really good, I think horror itself, not even horror movies necessarily, but like as a feeling yeah, horror as like a, as a mood. Right. It, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. It is like, you're right. It does like create a heightened sense of atmosphere um, or a heightened sense of the experience. And that's yeah. also like an instinctual. I like to go to the instinctual side of things sometimes because even creepiness, which we've talked about before, is sort of about ambiguity. So if you're feeling mm-hmm. the creeps, what you're doing is you're assessing something where you're like this. I don't know if this is a real threat. So I'm like creeped out because I need to pay hyper attention to what this is to gain more information about the uncanny. it. The uncanny. Yeah. So um, and I do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I watched it as a kid. That was my favorite, the 1990 it, obviously. And uh, and I watched that to fall asleep all the time. So I totally get it. And I know Miranda and I are both very anxious individuals. And maybe it's not going to solve your problems, but you get that you get that catharsis a little bit. I don't think I fully realized how relaxing I found horror movies until a couple of years ago when I was writing my memoir, which was like a very difficult and personal and emotional experience. And I was in a cabin in the New York, in this upstate New York at this like uh, fellowship. Uh, I was alone and I was like, it's just an emotional mess. And I went to sleep every night watching like whatever horror movie I could find. And one night like I was like, I saw, I saw a movie like on Netflix, something called, called Truth or Dare. And I was like, oh, I remember watching the trailer for this movie. I'll watch it. And so I started watching it. And like 40 minutes in, I was like, it's so weird. In the trailer for this movie, I remember this like really distinctive thing that kept happening and I, it hasn't happened at all. So then I was like Googling and I was like, oh, there's another horror movie called Truth or Dare that is a similar but not identical premise to this movie, Truth or Dare. So I finished <laughs> watching the first Truth or Dare and then I found the other Truth or Dare and then I watched that one, which is the one that I'd seen the trailer for. Um, and then it was like one in the morning and I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> like, I was just That's lying exactly in my bed what Chelsea and I have been doing for the last <laughs> two weeks to research these that were like, oh, Amityville, The Awakening? Great. We've already we better watch the Bella Thorne one. Yeah, this is also how I feel about like the Insidious movies, which are so stupid. Like they oh are God, beyond stupid, and every time we I watch that. them, I I laugh. Which I'm like, this is not the reaction they want me to be having watching this movie. It's so dumb, but it is like there's something really. It's like eating a potato chip. It's like you just can't. I mean, I just I'm just like oh, one more. Like oh, this yep. goes down real yep. easy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well. Obviously, these things have meaning to us, horror movies specifically. And, and to bring it back to just specifically the haunted house archetype, the the haunting archetype, why is like the most quintessential haunting? You know, we have hauntings in different places. It can happen in a graveyard. It could happen in, you know, some it could happen anywhere. It can happen at a school. There are so many options. But the quintessential uh, archetype where these hauntings occur is a house and it may not be abandoned. It can be abandoned, but typically the ones we're talking about is like a family moves into a home and then experiences the paranormal. So why do you think that that is the the thing that we return to again and again in these movies? I mean, I think the home, ostensibly it's like the place you feel the most comfortable, but also almost always, I mean, not, I guess not always, but often when you live in a home, like you exist, you're, you are not the first person to live there. You're either like a renter, there were previous tenants, or like, even if as like an owner, like I live in a house, but the house is like a hundred years old. So like many people have lived here before me. Um, and so there's something about, uh, 
this idea that like you exist in a space but this and the space is yours in like a legal sense but also like you exist on like land that was stolen and you exist in a house that like other people lived and died in and there's this sense of like history and i think you know americans specifically like we really struggle with history in a lot of ways because a we're a very young country or at least america itself is a, is a young country and so you know, it's weird how like, I don't know, whenever, whenever I, when the one time I've like been to Europe, it was, I was in like a bar and it was like in an old church and it was like, a, a church was like, like a thousand years old or something. It was just something From like the year 1000. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> what? I'm just like drinking a beer being like, hmm, smells like wet stone in here. This is weird. It's just their normal, <laughs> normal day in Europe. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I, but I think there's something really interesting because like there is a sense of like history and dimensionality around just like the home as like a place to live. And it's right. Ironically, it's like this place where like, you know, you you feel safe. Like there's all this history and sort of legacy to the space that I think we don't think about a lot. But then, you know, all it takes is like you finding something weird in a wall or something. And you're like, oh, right. This is like a really old ass house on like old ass land. (laughs) And like anything could have happened here, you know, Um, and I'm just in it. I'm just marinating in it all day. So I don't know. I feel like houses and spaces like offer us this way of like localizing our thoughts about death and about history and, you know, all the things that we sort of associate with hauntings in general. Totally. I've been thinking a lot about how like homeownership is tied to the American dream. Mm -hmm. So in these movies, you know, you're sort of having this violation of something that's like, ostensibly mine and like mm-hmm. oh I bought this house and now it's and it's like also where who was it Gaston Bachelard said the corners <laughs> and crevices are where our dreams accumulate I wrote that down oh the poetics of space <laughs> yes. Ooh, that's a, Ooh, that's hot oh that's such a good that's such a nice deep dive oh my god I love I ha- literally <laughs> poetics of space right yes. here and it does have to do with the nuclear family then too mm-hmm. right because the nuclear family is is the the center of the home and also the center of a uh, capitalistic uh, democracy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I teach a haunted house class at Penn, um, or I have. I taught it a couple of years ago, and we read this essay by Jamaica Kincaid that was in the New Yorker in like the '90s, and it was her talking about um, having bought this home in New York State somewhere, and it was like owned by this this sort of minor celebrity in like. Oh God, botany maybe it was just he was some like minor scientist, but she had always seen the home and always been very taken with the home. And when it came up for sale, none of his kids, this man died, and none of his children wanted the house, so they came to an agreement and she bought it. And there's this whole sort of thread throughout because she's not from the United States, and she's like, I know that my kids are Americans because my kids are not going to want this house. Like adults never live in the houses they grew up in. Um, American Americans don't, and so like there's this interesting way in which she's sort of talking about, yeah, like homeownership and like the idea of like growing up in a space and living in it and taking it and like I mean, it's not really about ghosts but like it's just this really interesting way of thinking about americans relationships with yeah like homes homeownership like moving up and moving out and moving to bet- bigger and better things and it's different than like you know an, an ancestral home in like europe like there would just be like a different way of like talking about like a home that was like sort of inherited through many generations of a family mm-hmm. and maybe that's a warmer feeling because the mystery isn't there you can't fill in the mystery of the home well there still could be plenty of mystery i think that's in that true. sort of setting but it's just a different way of thinking about it. it's like i love that joke in um oh my god knives out did you see knives out i don't think we did <gasps> oh my god Uh, now we will well you really should because it's amazing but there's this very funny joke in knives out where like 
basically this this rich family is being displaced from their home it was like this rich guy who died and like he didn't give his house to his shitty kids and they're all really angry and one of them is like what so you're gonna kick us out of our ancestral home and then this other character bursts out laughing and is like he bought this from like some chic in like the 80s like this is our ancestral home like it looks like a big old mansion but like it doesn't it didn't belong it's not like from our family you know and like the weird subtext is that like we're americans like we don't do like this is not our ancestral yeah. home. Like, what the hell are you talking about so it's just like a really interesting idea and i think there's something i think americans we accept it to be normal to like move on to other spaces and like occupy new spaces and like colonize mm-hmm. new spaces and that's just mm-hmm. like what we do and so like i think that in many ways, haunting the haunting of spaces is like a sort of expression of that discomfort or the idea of a haunting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, so many haunted house movies are like based in class too, because yeah. it's like a, a rich family moves into a poor community or a, a, a poor family inherits a house or whatever it's it's always this divide or it's cheap because there was a murder right. so that's affordable right exactly mm-hmm. it's right. degraded horror, the whole thing in the amityville horror is that they're like we couldn't have afforded this otherwise but because this like gruesome murder took place here we can actually afford it and there is like an intense like class element of it um yeah absolutely no absolutely of course and also trauma right i mean trauma's got to be a huge huge part of so much of it because it can be trauma of your own like you can almost haunt your own space right if you're moving into spaces where you've experienced trauma and there's also the stories of girls sort of creating ghosts with their emotions and their own traumas and different things do you think that there's a relationship to trauma in terms of like past hauntings too because a lot of times the person has died in a way that is tragic so it's like what is haunting exactly right i mean i think the thing about hauntings is so interesting is it's this way in which the past is like asserting itself against the present right and that can be trauma like it can be like somebody died here something horrible happened here and now the space is sort of irrevocably altered. You know, the space is wounded the way you could wound flesh. Like, you know, it, it, it has a scar. Like, there's a, you know, there's a psychic disturbance in the house. All of which are actually ideas that, like, there is some, like, sort of biological. Like, they've done, like, studies about, like, if you enter into a space and experience a certain emotion, like, sometimes people walking into that space separately can, like, identify, like, pheromones. Like, there's, like, things that, like, you're giving off. Like that someone else can perceive, basically. Whoa, I want to learn everything about that. <laughs> you cannot be created or destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> but like there's something also I think about with like – because also like a lot of these movies – and I had forgotten this about Amityville Horror. I was just watching Amityville Horror the other day after we were talking. But um, like Poltergeist has this – Amityville Horror has this. A lot of horror movies have this, which is like, oh, there was some – like this was like a graveyard or like a space, like a, this is like a place where like an indigenous, like they don't say indigenous, yep. but like an indigenous peoples were that were like displaced in some way or they're buried here or like say, I think Indyville mentions like Salem. I mean, Indyville has like five different explanations yeah. for what's happening in the house, <laughs> but like there, there's like discussions of like Salem. So like all these like original sins that we committed, though, uh, though they often miss slavery. <laughs> That's an original sin in a lot of these movies. Like, uh, but like, you know, th- there's like a lot of discussion of like, right, like how we, you know, murdered indigenous populations and like displaced them and murdered a bunch of women. Like there's all these ways in which we like are trying to express this idea that like our own history is coming back, but it's not coming back for like us as a society. It's coming back for like these poor people who are just in this one house. Like that's the expression of some terrible misdeed we've done in the past, which I think is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Like visiting the sins of the father upon this particular, you know, I mean, what is it probably, but just an encapsulated microcosm of America. Did you want to talk any more about sort of the 
Indian burial ground trope. Have you done any work around that or any study around? Yeah. Not, well, no. And I'm sure there have been like indigenous writers who have written on this with, you know, with sort of specificity. But I do, I mean, we were talking uh, over email about Ghostland, right? And so Colin Mm -hmm. Dickey, like in that book, he talks about like this detail about how there was this one place in Virginia where like, all the ghosts that were sort of local were white. And he was like, but this mm-hmm. was literally like the port where the most slaves were brought through, like, you know, during that yes. era. Sockle bottom. Right, exactly. And so, like, he's like, why is it that, like, if the ghosts are about the past, why is it that all of the ghost stories are white when, in fact, like, the worst human atrocities that we committed in this area were all being done to Black people? So, like, yeah. it's, again, there's, like, even with ghost stories, this discomfort about, like, articulating what it is. And then there are other ways it manifests, too, like, the Candyman movies, which is, I mean, about haunt, more of a haunted, like, a building than, like, a, ha- a house, but it's you know, this idea of gentrification, like, I mean, there's different ways in which, like, these these sins sort of manifest and, like, create these, you know, restless spirits that, like, then sort of act out violently, which I think is just, like, a way that we express that discomfort. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American and Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. There's also, this is definitely prequel to horror movies, but spiritualism as a practice, mm-hmm. we did a lot, we did stuff on spiritualism a while ago. And one of the most fascinating things, there's so much to do with, with gender and race and different things in the channeling. Mm. So there was a lot of channeling happening, especially women. And that was the only place that a lot of times women could speak because they were speaking for dead men, which is so <laughs> wild to me. Wow. That is so on the nose. I love that. <laughs> So not only that, but white women most often who were channeling spirits would sometimes channel indigenous spirits or spirits of formerly enslaved people. And those people would give speeches and would forgive the people in the room. No. Yeah. So I think back to that. It's not the same thing as the trope, but obviously there's like 
a guilt issue that's playing out in these different yeah. just really strange and also obviously evasive ways. Well, because I mean, even with this trope, it sort of suggests that like, oh, don't worry, like this family, this like nice white family is getting punished for like this thing that was done. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't have like an exact theory, but it is the idea of like guilt and forgiveness and like we feel bad, but we're not going to like do real stuff like policy or like we're just gonna like express our discomfort at our past sins through like these horror movie tropes which i think is very interesting we're separating ourselves from it by turning it into a story yeah yeah um so two of the the most important movies to me in general for whatever reason are the shining and amityville horror um i saw it as like i saw amityville horror as like a 13 year old on amc or something and i was like this is my new thing this is (laughs) this is what i'm doing (laughs) but i was thinking while we were rewatching those recently about how so often and i think eve i would even say most of the time hauntings come through a living person. It's very rarely just an entity or a ghost. It has to come through a living person. And that happens to both George Letts and Jack Torrance. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about that and I wanted to ask you about that. And also um, how The Shining and Amityville were like exact contemporaries. Both the books came out in 77 and then Amityville was 79 and The Shining was 80. But they're basically the same story. Uh, Yeah, a possessed man who attacks his family. Family annihilator. And Amityville and The Shining, the axe is also the, Mm. which I believe is a phallic symbol of masculinity. When I was rewatching Amityville, like like Josh Brolin. He's so hot. He's so hot. I also had the same thought. So is Margot Kidder. Yeah, they were very sexy. They're the hottest couple. Her cheekbones were like, Unreal. And Unreal. his hair, I was like, oh. I run my hands with that hair for hours. Yeah, We just no. kept saying it. We kept being like, I I don't usually feel like I'm so into a couple in a movie. But yeah. all right, that's enough. I'm like, if they if they <laughs> gave me a drink from across the bar, I'd be like super yeah. pleased. I'd be like, yep, this is done. Coming home to the Amityville house. <laughs> I would go back. Home. I'd go back to that haunted ass house. Why not? <laughs> That's the horror movie we need to make. That's actually a great premise for a movie. Now I really want to write that movie. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's Did do we it. just accidentally write a great movie premise? That's amazing. Absolutely. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, no, there's something. I actually was having that thought because like there's that scene where he he takes an axe through the door. It's very like the shining. You know, and I actually I noticed that too. I was like, I wonder if Stanley Kubrick had seen had seen it or like if you know what I mean or or like what totally. the relationship between like the texts were like I I've never read the annual horror which obviously like is you know just this like weird like best-selling hoax book I yeah there's either. I agree they are really similar I mean I don't know the history of like when we began to sort of understand about family annihilators like this idea I mean it's weird because in Amityville the original murder is like it's not a father but it's like a it's a son right it's Mm -hmm. like the son who kills his parents and like all his siblings but i was having that thought too i was like oh right like what makes him so unsettling is like these families and these like really isolated settings the husband is like slowly going insane and is like doing increasingly violent and terrifying things i mean there's you know josh brown like backhands margot kidder like you know there's, there's just a lot of like domestic violence or implications of domestic violence these like families that are sort of slowly being eaten away by like madness and isolation you know, I, it occurs to me, not to bring it back to my my work, but like Please. when I was researching my memoir, like, I, you know, I was reading about, about 
understanding and the evolution of like the idea of domestic violence, like where that like because that's about the time when we began to actually acknowledge that domestic violence was a thing. Like mm-hmm. before, it was just like, oh yeah, you hit your wife, whatever. That just happens. And it was like in like the very late seventies, early eighties, when we were like, there's a thing called battery you know mm-hmm. or there's a thing called like wife batter you know like we're i mean again it was very like heterosexual and very white and all these things but there was this way in which we began to articulate that like there is a phenomenon when this happens and like we have language for it and like talking about how to prevent it and stuff like that so i wonder if that's actually part of it it's like this is a way of like art fi- finding that language you know alongside like the academic like sociological conversation about about this phenomenon. I'm not sure. I mean, that's just a guess. I, I don't know. Totally. And it's actually really interesting because we are literally talking about The Shining and Amneville as kind of like during the time of men's rights, which is has a super negative connotation, but originally it was sort of the conversation between women's rights and men's rights and how those are mutually beneficial. But toward the end of the 70s, post-victims rights movement, post-second wave feminism that, of course, was very frightening to a lot of um, men, I think we started to see the the focus become these abusers. And I know Stephen King wrote The Shining about his own alcoholism. So I think you're totally on point. And that's totally the same conclusion we were reaching. I mean, I'm always really interested in the relationship between like possession and exorcism movies and haunted house or haunting ghost movies. And there's a lot of overlap. And actually, like rewatching Amityville, I had forgotten what a big chunk of it is like all this priest stuff, like the priest getting ill, the priest, mm-hmm. you know, the priest going blind. And the flies. The priest covered in flies, like him. Covered in flies like Mike Pence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you're right. I think that was a joke I stole from Miranda when we were watching. <laughs> yeah, we talked a lot about Mike Pence while we watched all the Amityville movies. Oh, my God. <laughs> and there's like, you know, the, 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 the inverting cross and like them, tra- you know, her, the mother praying and like there's just all this religious stuff that I had forgotten. Portal to hell, yeah. And, right, exactly. And I think that there's something... Because I think there are haunted house movies that are closer to, like, a space is actually infused with, like, a presence. Like, the house itself is acting in some way. But there are absolutely variations. There are arguments to be made that, like, it's like, is the house haunted or is the per- – do you have a deeply unreliable narrator? I mean, with movies, that's a little different because it's, like, a different way. But with prose, like, you know, with fiction, it's like, is the narrator just deeply unreliable or are we actually experiencing a haunting, right? I feel like there are ones – where it's like the house itself. I guess technically the others, the house itself is haunted, though it's not clear. It feels like you're experiencing the former the whole time. And then what you ter- what it turns out to be is that the house itself is, simply, is haunted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as if it's manifesting through one person. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that those do exist. Or like, yeah, but like, I mean, Poltergeist has Carol Ann. That's what I'm thinking. It's like, it's really hard for me to come up with a movie yeah. that's... There's at least the person that senses it, right? Well, it's funny because it's also like a child. It's almost like a really, it's like a, a man who's on the verge of murdering somebody. It's like the first <laughs> kind. There's like the child with like with like weird, creepy, because like, even in the others, like there's the daughter, the daughter is so creepy, right? And has like, there's that whole <laughs> scene with the veil. Are you mad? I am your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> God, that would be so. Also, I could watch Nicole Kidman scream. And have a breakdown All for day. literally days. Like, I, I could never get tired Does of it. Does she do anything else? <laughs> Good question. We love you, Nicole. We love you. Sometimes she's in Moulin Rouge and she's mm. magnificent. True, true. Well, she's wasting away physically, but she's also just like <laughs> radiant. We keep derailing you. No, I, I guess you're right. I mean, I guess it's like, I, I'm sure there are examples of like, it not necessarily coming through a person. But I also think that because like, that's a way of giving the narrative 
like giving the house a kind of voice mm-hmm. right it's like the human is like the mouthpiece or like the psychological like limb of the house and it's able to like move around and do things in this way that's like harder and then also it like adds to it because i think it adds to the threat of like removing the person from the house or like running from the house because it's like if someone's attached to the space like it makes it more complicated because i feel like a lot of times when you watch me with this you're like just move out what's going on like just leave like what's wrong with you but there's always something like pulling them back and i mean like in amityville like the dad i mean he goes in after the dog but it's like he's like the one who can't escape the house right yeah. like he's the one who and the house just like sucks him in and just like covers him in that black goo or whatever. And Harry saves the day. Yeah, and the dog is just. Oh. I forgot how like how the dog is just like the absolute hero of that movie. It's beautiful. Yeah. I always get nervous when a dog appears because I'm like, oh my god. Do you know about DoesTheDogDie.com? Oh, I do. <laughs> I consult it often. It's my most used resource. <laughs> Speaking of that force, too, like the house as the force, but also the idea of possession, which is part of the house a lot of the time, satanic possession, demonic possession, whatever, an entity enters and controls the body of another. And I think that there's something interesting in that it especially seems to possess the father figure. And when I think of it, I think of it almost as like a separation from the like toxic masculinity as like, okay, so I'm not the person doing this. There's Mm. some outside force controlling me to do these bad things. And I think that that kind of reflects it. It's again, a way of displacing blame. It's like a way of moving the blame away from that's so interesting. Yeah, I'm completely taken over by this force, you know, rage or, or whatever. And I do think that, yeah, I think that's what Stephen King was trying to do. I feel like possession, possession narratives, which, I mean, are are not always, but almost exclusively Catholic, Christian or like Catholic in nature, mm-hmm. right? It's like this very specific way of thinking about exorcism. And there's always this implication in those narratives that like you invite something in, mm-hmm. like so that there's like a weakness, there's like Ooh. a weak link, mm-hmm. you know, somebody doesn't believe in God or like plays mm-hmm. with a, you know, does a thing like and, and you've, you've invited something in. And I think sometimes there's like a, there's like an interesting distinction between like films in which you have invited this malfeasance to like enter into your home or your body and like create havoc versus like something exists here that's older than you. And it's like it's not your fault. There's something really I mean, I, I don't have like a super developed thought on that, but like I've always been like very curious about these like slight differences between like possession narratives and haunting narratives, even though they are like fundamentally the same, except that like one is about a person being haunted, but obviously like haunted house stories can also have people being haunted so it's like they're very similar but if there's this, inter- this question of like blame like whose fault it is for the thing coming is like a really interesting one and i think the idea that like it's displacing guilt about either like race or just displacing guilt about being a man you know being a man and being violent or like hitting your wife or whatever and and they also come to possess um especially post the 70s and into like the reagan years these are like morality plays in a sense like you said you've invited the demon in somehow and especially if you think of like the exorcist it's like Mm -hmm. the young woman possessed to do all of these bad things it's like culture is coming to to sort of disintegrate the the social order of america and i think that the reagan years are so uh amazing for horror there's it's so rich with just like (laughs) rich with horror says campaign tagline (laughs) do we want to talk about the difference real quick between ghosts and poltergeists and demons 
Well, poltergeist, they're like a manifest. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm speaking like just generally, like obviously every film is going to do its own thing with it. But like poltergeist are like a manifestation of like a, per, a living person. Then there's like ghosts, which are like something, someone that existed in the house before. And then there's like possession, which is about like Satan specifically. So it's not necessarily like a living person who died, but like a, a malevolent spirit that exists on some other realm. But also like Amityville, isn't the implication that like Jody and the pig outside the window are Satan? Like I, I was like, I feel like Amityville is like super unclear on its own. <laughs> like it's like maybe it's the ghost of people who died, but maybe it's Satan. But maybe it's also these like restless spirits from like the that were buried there. Like it's like not clear. But yeah, so I feel like it's like satan or a living person or a dead person like that those yeah. are the people that can haunt the space and, and i just think depends. amityville is just like a real bacchanal of like everything yeah. they could think of yeah so it does it's like the quintessential like the house is haunted it's the house right, the house is just bad <laughs> yeah. or there's also the idea that like the house is bad right which i feel like is also this idea that like, the space i mean this is like i mean hill house right the idea is that like the house is just born bad like there's mm-hmm. just something wrong with the space and it's funny because like in every remake of the haunting of hill house like they in the horrible version they did with um owen wilson oh yeah <laughs> We started it and we couldn't finish it. Oh my god! It's I remember seeing it as a as a as a young person and even then being like, eh. um, but like that they gave some like explanation. It's like he murdered children or they gave some like backstory to the guy who ran the house. But like you know, I think in the book, just the, the, I mean, like the idea that the sort of being kicked around is like the house is just like wrong in some like fundamental way. And there's also this. Um, have you ever read The House Next Door by Anne Rivers Seddon? Are you Mm-mm. familiar with that book? It's a great haunted house novel. It's very weird because it's like a stealth haunted house novel because if you look at the cover, it looks like a mid-80s like Southern romance or something. Like the cover is like this pastel. Like it's very unassuming. And it's this terrifying haunted house story from the uh, 70s, like a novel. And the premise is that these like young, these young hot, like like James Brolin and Margot Kidder are like two very sexy, a young couple living in this like nice house in the so like Atlanta, like suburbs. And there's a house getting built behind them. And like they spend all day just like doing coke and fucking and like drinking way too much, <laughs> like way, way, way too much. And watching this house go behind them. And then like people keep moving into the house and like bad things happen to everybody who lives there. And ultimately, like, the sort of the reveal is that, like, the architect who created it is, like, infected with something weird. And so, like, when he builds the house, like, it builds bad. Like, it builds sinister. Um, It's one of the scariest. It's really – it's, like, up there with Hill House for me. It's, like, a real just, like, amazing kind of sleeper – brilliant haunted house novel. But, yeah, so this idea that then a space can be born – can be bad in some way, which is just interesting as well. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The last thing I wanted to ask, and, and I think it'd be fun if we all answer this question, is do you, Carmen First, believe in ghosts? <sighs> no, I, I do not believe in ghosts. I do believe that like spaces can have emotions, like spaces can hold psychology and hold mood and atmosphere and experiences in interesting ways that I think some of which we've identified through science, some of which we haven't. And I think that like things can be haunted in like sort of a less literal sense. Like, do I believe that like dead spirits exist on some other plane that we can't see? Like, no, I don't, I don't think so. You know, in the sense that I also don't believe in like angels or God or demons or whatever. Um, but I do think that like things can be haunted in a lot of ways, just like not exactly in the way that I think maybe that question intends. But like, yeah, I think it's like possible, but I also don't believe in ghosts. So have you seen a ghost? <laughs> this is just for me. <laughs> no, this is for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to know. <laughs> I just like to ask people for their ghost stories. I've never seen a ghost. I will tell you that I did the probably the the because I also was like a very religious teenager. So there was a mm -hmm. point in my life when I was like open to the experiences of like that there were supernatural things that like I could access. And I think it's because I really wanted to see a ghost. I think that's what that was all about. <laughs> it was like that that whole like stint of evangelical Christianity in my teens was like an attempt to like access something bigger than myself. Wild, yeah. Whether it's ghosts or God or yeah. whatever. Um and I did have this one experience where I remember like being really close to a tree line. Um, where some kids were playing and I was just sort of sitting watching them. I was at this like retreat thing and like for my church. And I remember getting this very weird sense from the tree line and like feeling really like stressed out by it and like feeling like something was about to come out of it and getting really like anxious and feeling really agitated. And then the kids like overshot, like someone threw the ball and someone else missed it and it like rolled kind of into the trees and the kids all like went to go grab the ball and then they like stopped and they both like, they all like jogged away and just like a bit like left it there. Wow. Um, as if they also sent something and I was just like, and then I kind of got up and went away. And it's like the only time in my life I've ever been like, what the hell was going on? Like, and there was a sense of something else, but like what that was, I have no idea. But no, I've never seen a ghost. I've never seen like a like a form of something I believed was a ghost. Have you have you ever seen a ghost? Um, <laughs> Miranda hit it. Well, okay, so I was also an incredibly anxious, scaredy cat of a child, and I was the most afraid of ghosts. And all through my teenage years and everything, I was terrified of ghosts. And sh and sure, they were real, even when I got a little more logical. And I did have a couple of instances where I saw, go I thought I saw a ghost. I don't know what it was to this day. But um, it's interesting. When I was 25, I started taking escitalopram for my anxiety. And I'm not afraid of ghosts anymore. It's the <laughs> weirdest thing. I... I I was a touring musician for like eight years and I couldn't sleep in a room by myself because I was so afraid of what was around me in my 20s. Wow. And I, and then I started taking anti-anxiety medication and that is the one thing that I know it has done is that I can sleep in a room by myself. I can walk through dark spaces. Although Chelsea and I, we went through a haunted corn maze 
attraction and I had I started crying and had to leave yeah. halfway through it. I just bailed through the cast. We had entrance. to sit by the trailer where they do medical things. <laughs> and I was sitting there crying and Chelsea was like, "Okay, but I'm going to go back in and then I'm going to go through the second one. Is that okay?" Well, it was clown themed. <laughs> yeah. So I love haunted attractions. Like I will go to them every year. They are just my favorite thing in the world. The I love Halloween world. season. Yeah. It's like my favorite. Same. Um, it was very hard this past ho- year not to be able to go. We went through a drive-through haunted corn maze. Oh my god! <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. But I'm bad, glad it happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was living in Iowa City. I was there for grad school, and a bunch of us decided to go to a haunted attract, like a haunted corn maze that was like a- an hour away. And it was like me and a friend, and then like these two people that like were new to the program. But, like, I didn't know them super well, but they were like, yeah, we want to come. And so we go to this corn maze. And it was, like, a really good attraction. It was, like, it, when we were in the corn maze, first of all, what this young woman had the reaction that you had, which was, like, I thought we were going to have to airlift her out of this corn maze. Because she, like, at some point refused to move. And we were, like, <laughs> you have to keep going. Like, we're in the middle of a cornfield. <laughs> like, you can't just stop. Like, you can't go back. Like, you have to just – we have to just keep progressing forward. And she was just having a – we were, like, really afraid we were going to have to, like, call somebody. It was a whole thing. And then there was this part that was, like, a clown arena. So you, like, yes. came – so you, like, came into this, like, space. And it was, like, a big circle. And there were, like, you know, insane-looking clown monsters with chainsaws. And it was, like, actual chainsaws with, like – there was no blade mm-hmm. on it. But, yeah. like, it was making all the sounds and, like, you know, it smelled like a it's chainsaw. It's the scariest thing there is. Yeah. And so I was like, great. So then there's like on the other side of this like clearing, there's like a like a like a flap to go through to the next part. So I'm like, cool. So I like go running down and you touch it and it's solid. Like it's not real. So I was like, it was it was the closest to like a nightmare manifesting in real life. Cause I was just like, wait, what? And then we were just like, wait, where are we go? And the clouds are going, zoom, zoom. Oh. And, the, and we were all just like, what? Oh my God. We were like running around trying to find it. And it took us so long that one of the clouds was like, Maybe it's over there. Because <laughs> like, like the next group had to come through, I guess. And he was just like, you idiots. Like, that's where the flap is. And it was like hidden in this like weird way. But it was like so, oh my God, it was so funny. But it was, like, it was really good also because like the corn, the haunted corn maze is like, or they rustle. Like, it's like the, the, the setting itself is so terrifying that like, you don't I need very much. I love Children of like, the Corn it. so much. <laughs> I have actually never seen Children. Oh my god! Gotta, I don't. I don't love scary children wow. as a genre. Wow. I don't love it. I just don't find them super terrifying. So I just not a genre that I'm a subgenre that I'm very interested in. But if you recommend it, I'll watch it. The aesthetic of it is really okay. cool, and something about it is just like God, like right in the pocket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Chelsea, do you believe in ghosts? I believe in the possibility of ghosts but i'm like on the like we already live in a simulation trip so like there's probably just like something happening where like if every if every moment is occurring in the same moment and there is no separation of time then perhaps things are bleeding over that's what i've been thinking about lately but i was very into ghosts as a teenager i job shadowed ghost hunters when i was 16 and went to ghost hunting conferences and i really wanted to talk to edna saint vincent malay through my (laughs) but then i learned she was really mean (laughs) she probably would have been mean to me i didn't know that i learned that from you she was was really mean wait hard for me (laughs) (laughs) wait but then you, you did also read that story about how that weird thing happened to me at the malay colony where 
the, the other artist thought I was crying in the middle of the night. Yeah. And then it wasn't me. So that's like a ghost thing that like I was the ghost, but I wasn't because I was asleep. So who knows? That's beautiful, though. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, and then it was a lot of like I had so many ghost experiences and I don't know how to explain them, but I was very emotional. I smoked a lot of weed. You know, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of possibilities and it doesn't really happen to me anymore. But um my dad and my mom both like hardcore believe in everything. So it was colored by, by that, too. certainly. Um, but yeah, you, I've, I've definitely got a lot. Were you very religious? No, like, not at all. Did you believe in like that sort of thing? Oh, nope, not at all. There wasn't a, a religion thing <gasps> at all, which which is nice because it was kind of pure in that way. Like it was fun. I, yeah. I was never scared of ghosts. Um, I was an only child. And I think, you know, you can invent sort of entities for sure uh, as as a way to... I don't know, probably express things. I don't really know. It definitely wasn't a ghost. Like, it wasn't a dead person. My granny's house is haunted by a dead person, we think. But that's... She, okay, I'll tell it really quick. She woke up <laughs> one time. She has a grandmother clock. She's British. Well, what's she woke a grandmother up, clock? It's a grandmother clock? They've always called it a grandmother clock. If I'm wrong, that's embarrassing. <laughs> but anyway... <clears throat> She was she like shot up in bed and it was midnight and she heard somebody yelling at each chime of this grandmother clock. So like it would like one and is it like, you know, whatever is it rang out. Exactly. It'd be like one, <gasps> two, all the way up to 12, what? dude. Yeah. And then it stopped. And then she's screaming for my grandfather who just couldn't hear a damn thing by then. And so, yeah. And and that's not the – like, things have slid on the table. Like, glasses have just kind of broke for no reason. Like, it's a very – and somebody did die in the house who had really serious uh, issues toward the end um, that were – we've done a lot of research trying to figure it out. But we haven't figured out much. But, yeah, I mean – I don't know what I believe in. I I honestly have no idea how to explain that because my granny's not somebody who is like ready to believe in ghosts. You know what I mean? She's mm-hmm. not somebody who who that that would manifest to uh, because she's susceptible to it already. So it's a mystery. But yeah, ghosts have been a huge part of my life forever. And I still I love everything about them. I'm just more interested in like the psychological side of the paranormal now. I think I have one more thing to say about a haunting. Please. I just, it's something that just occurred to me as you were talking. I was thinking about my own home. And like, so we just moved into this house, uh, not last year, but the year before. And it's in West Philadelphia. And it's like about 100 years old, roughly, more or less. And the woman who lived here, I'm pretty sure died here. I mean, she was like very old. And the house has like very good energy. And we've never like had any sort of, you know, feelings about that sort of thing. But I remember like right after we moved in, we were like painting the the bedroom and I oh I was opening the windows so that we could like get some air in the room. And I leaned out the window and there was this like petrified piece of bread tucked in the windowsill, like on the outside. And I was looking at it and I was like, what is this? And then I realized that she probably put it there so the birds would come to the window. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure the room that our, is our bedroom was her bedroom and that she was summoning birds to the window with this like little piece of bread. Huh. And I feel like that's a haunting. And like, I got to see, like, this little piece of her, yeah. you know, in this, like, weird moment where, like, I was suddenly kind of like, communing with the past in this, like, interesting way. And that, to me, feels like something. Yeah. Like, That's part of why I love abandoned houses so much, like, the real kind, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the artifacts there, it's it's anthropology, and it does feel yeah. like history is is presenting itself to you in a way that is really meaningful. Yeah. So 
That was a beautiful story. Oh, thank you. Birds. <laughs> we love birds. Oh, we also are – we're a big bird house. And a lot of identifying of the birds, naming of the birds. We have a, pair, a cardinal pair we call Guy Fieri and Lady Fieri. <laughs> yes. come to our little theater. <laughs> I love them. Well, you know, I think our haunted thing recently was we found a um, – A yearbook. Yearbook on the ground from 1970. Yeah. From New Mexico. <gasps> on the ground outside? On the ground, outside behind a garbage can. I was like, what's this big orange book? And I kicked it over and it was a – fucking yearbook from 1970 and we were able to go through and sort of be like okay so here's prom queen it sounds like prom queen was dating him and we kind of created the entire social scene of this of this mysterious 1970 yearbook that i found on the ground from new mexico Wait, where do you guys live in seattle, in seattle. so it was a little ghostly you can check out our Instagram stories for that. It's in our highlights. It was the best thing that happened. <laughs> I feel like, wasn't there recently this thing where like somebody found an in and as before COVID, someone found like an in and out burger in like New York or something like on the ground and they and like the nearest in and out is like <gasps> 2,000 miles away. <laughs> and there was like, That's so oh. fun. There was like this weird quest. I can't remember what publication it was in and it was just like, where did the, and it was like perfectly preserved just like sitting on the ground and they were like, where did this come from? A haunted like, burger. Wow. <laughs> I love Things it. that just are where they shouldn't be. Yes, <laughs> that's a haunting, dude. Back on my back on my granny trip, she <laughs> she freaking found a wrapper from England of like a candy a candy wrapper that her father used to eat, who died in England, and she found it in like a plant that she commonly watered. What that was like not from there what? at all. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know about that, dude. I didn't tell you that one. I yeah, don't think that's so. wild. Yeah. So I don't know. And that one's particular to somebody who's gone. And that's a that's a different thing, too. Like our own dead, right? Our, the people we miss um, communicating with us. That's in, in a positive way because that's a ghost, too, right? We just think of we're talking about hauntings, not sort of the reassurances of the people who've passed on or at least what mm -hmm. we manifest about them. Oh, Carmen. Jesus. <laughs> this was so much fun. I, I think all three of us could talk about this for the rest of our lives. So. Uh, yeah, seriously. I was like, you want to go for the five hours? <laughs> Set up a weekly meeting. Well, any other time you want me to talk about anything, I would love to. This is great. This was so much fun. We will. We will. We will. Thank you so much, Carmen, for being here. And we can't wait to talk to you again. Be careful out there. <laughs> this was American Hysteria. Please, please, oh dear God, please get your hands on Carmen's books, In the Dream House, Her Body and Other Parties, and The Low, Low Woods. Baby, you deserve it. Next time on the show, we've got part two of our horror series that covers teenage slashers, satanic possessions, the torture movies that shocked a post 9-11 America, and the social thrillers of today and the legacy that helped create them. If you can, consider becoming a patron for our other bi-weekly podcast, early episodes, and access to a video of our two-hour vaudevillian live show featuring everything from a tinky-winky drag performance to a live consumption of pop rocks and coke, skits, dance, Alex Jones, and much, much more. 
follow us on social media at AmerHysteria on Twitter and at American Hysteria Podcast on Instagram. And if you can, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This episode has sound by Clear Camo Studios and was produced and co-hosted by Miranda Zickler. Thanks as always for listening and may you channel all of the fright of the last year into the good ghost you need, whatever form it may take. Have a great week.